Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points, proudly brought to you by Canis Hoopers and the SB Nation Podcast Network. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. You can catch my written work over at canishoopers.com or you can find me on Twitter at Jake Painting, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Today, we are going to do a little bit of free agency preparation. I know we've kind of been focused on, on just Timberwolves of last season or this season and and a little bit of draft stuff but today I thought we'll get into a few free agents to join me to do all that is the returning Jack Borman, Cayman Super's family member. What's going on Jack? How's it going man? Yeah not bad as you know um, shout out to, to Liverpool Football Club we just won the Premier League today's been a big day for me I'm not going to ramble about it here on the Timberwolves podcast but as you know I'm a pretty happy boy today so it's a good day. There are a lot of happy people out there, to be honest with you. I think there's a lot of just people that are not big Man City fans. Um, yeah. That are just happy to see them lose. And uh, Captain America got his got his goal in there. It was, it was a big day for soccer fans in America, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, um, shout out to Christian Pulisic. Great goal. Thank you very much. We are all Americans today. Um, we're just going to start off with... Four or five under the radar free agents. I know that it's a pretty weak free agency class, and, and Minnesota don't have a lot of money to spend on on free agents that aren't, you know, Malik Beasley or or, or Hernan Gomez or guys who are restricted free agents. So we've already talked, me and you, Jack, about a little bit about like Jeremy Grant and stuff like that on our podcast a few weeks ago. But I thought today we'll do a few under the radar free agents, a few guys who are kind of. You could probably get over to Minnesota for pretty cheap and, and hopefully they could make an impact. So if you want to start off with your first guy and we'll just go from there. All right. So for my first guy, I went to the G League, um, to the barren wasteland of Wisconsin. Um, Frank Mason the third. He's the starting point guard for the Wisconsin herd of the G League. Uh, and he was actually this year's G League MVP. Um, he's 26. Um, he's only 5'11 with a six foot three wingspan, 190 pounds. Um, but what he did this year in the G League, uh, in just 30 minutes a game was pretty impressive. He put up 25.3 points, 4.8 assists, 3.3 rebounds, a steal, and two and a half turnovers a game. Um, and and that led the led the G League in scoring. Um, and then his shooting splits: 50, 81 and a half, and just damn near about 43 percent from deep. Uh, on on seven and a half attempts from deep uh, per game, which which is really impressive, and, and I think the most imp- most impressive thing that I saw from him, uh, just in terms of the advanced metrics, were was he shot sixty five point seven percent true shooting percentage, Oof. which is something you generally see out of a out of a very efficient center or big, 
and and something you you very seldomly see uh, out of, out of a guard. Um, and, and had almost had almost uh, 1.8 or excuse me 0.18 uh, wind shares per 48, um, and that number is pretty much to give you give you context for that. Uh, his number there is pretty much right on par with Bam Adebayo. Um, so to give you kind of a context of how much of a winning player he was for uh, for the herd this year, that was that. Um, so, but but a really really good three point shooter uh, who can make threes off screens. Really good shooter off the dribble as well, um, which was something that that's that's very evident if you if you turn on his his game tape and, and shot ninety or excuse me was in the ninety first percentile in off dribble shots. Um, and the second biggest thing for me, he's just an elite pick and roll conductor. Uh, was in the ninety seventh percentile in the G League uh, as as the ball handler in the pick and roll, and uh, the team was. 95th percentile in team offense uh, when when their action included a pick and roll and a pass from, from Frank Mason. So when Frank Mason was, was passing out of that action uh, were, were the two big main notes that I had on him um, and, and two things that obviously the Timberwolves need. Um, you know, he's, he's really not a good defender <laughs> to, to be quite honest with you. Um, wasn't very good at all in the G League and, and, is, and is pretty brutal at the NBA level, but um, but you know, I think that that kind of gets minimized a little bit when you're, when you're the, you know, probably the third point guard on the team, where you're probably not going to be playing more than 10, 12 minutes a game. Um, but definitely a guy who, you know, if he gets hot, he could he could really kind of help turn the tide and, and keep the bench afloat uh, when J Max not out there running the show. So so a fun potential option that that I saw and and one that I'm sure uh, I'm sure will probably be signed to to an NBA team this fall. Yeah, I think like like we discussed a few weeks ago, D'Angelo Russell is probably gonna miss you know ten to fifteen games he has pretty much every season of his career, and at that point, I don't think you can kind of just rely on on McLaughlin to play thirty five to forty minutes, and then you've got you know a wing like a, like a Kogi or or someone who has to back him up in a point guard esque role. So I think it's really wise to or grab. Yeah, I think I think it's really wise to grab a a third string point guard. Like you said, he's not going to play. He might even stay in the G League with with the Iowa Wolves, you know, for most of the season, and then and then you bring him up when you need him, or you bring him up, you know, with injuries or whatever. So I think I'll always have subscribed to the theory that teams should just go and get the best players in the G League. They might not be they might not be good or great at all in the NBA, but. We've seen so many G League guys, you know, pan out as NBA players. So to get the a guy who's dominating the G League is always a, a smart move, I think, even if they're just going to be, you know, a third stringer. Yeah, and especially considering the ties that the front office has to the G League, you know, obviously Gerson Rosas was was the general manager for the for the Rio Grande Valley uh, Vipers uh, down there in Texas with the Rockets and and Gianluca Pescuk. Pashuki, excuse me, uh, was also, I think he was an assistant GM under Rosas on that team down there as well. Um, so two, two guys that definitely have some G League influence um, and experience, you know, really seeing talent on that team. And, and you know, that Rio Grande team has produced a, a ton of really, really interesting, interesting players that have, that have really panned out. Um, two most notable guys, probably Robert Covington and, and, uh, and Montrez Harrell. Um, so, so if I, I trust their eye completely with the G League, um, it's kind of why I'm hopeful about about Jared Vanderbilt. Um, but yeah, some something that definitely I think that, that we should be on the but be on the lookout for this fall. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So I think we'll probably just move through these guys fairly quickly. I don't know how much you know time you can spend on on these kind of free agents. Like, like we said, it's a pretty weak free agency class. We were just talking off air, and there's a lot of players that are just flat out bad. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's kind of you know you. I think Kyle Kyle always speaks about this. Kyle Tiger when when he's on the pod is that Minnesota are going to be looking for that kind of studs and duds type mentality where you have to find those fringe players who can who can contribute even though they maybe didn't contribute somewhere else or they've you know fallen out of the league and they and they're only getting a minimum contract. I think they're the guys in a Frank Mason esque kind of role. He was with Sacramento and. Um, to start his career and, and then, you know, kind of fell into the G League. I think they're the kind of players if you can get them in, get them playing well for, for really cheap deals, that would be a huge bonus when Harlan Towns and D'Angelo Russell are taking up a ton of cap space. Yeah, for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised, too, if they didn't look overseas. Um, you know, there's a really... Most of the American players that are playing overseas are guys that have fallen out of the NBA or are a little bit older, so I don't know if they'd bring anybody back that had been in the NBA, but... You know, there's a lot of good young talent over there that um, that probably wouldn't make sense for them to go through the draft because they're a little bit older. But guys have kind of made them made made a name for themselves uh, over there. That, well, you that spoke about you spoke about here. Shane Larkin. You spoke about Shane Larkin not long ago, and that that's kind of that same mold, I guess, Larkin. Right, or or like a belly, like Nemanja Bjelica when he came over. Um, yeah. I think he was the Euroleague MVP the year before he came over. Um, so I guess that was a little bit of a different thing since he was, you know, already so, so good. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think that you can bring in established veterans to, to come over and play. Like I know the Pelicans did with Nico Melli uh, and he played some, some big minutes for them down the stretch of games and, and hit some clutch shots too. So, uh, so there's a lot of different options and I think it's going to be teams like you were saying that can, that can be most creative and, 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 and kind of have the most hits on, on these fringe guys that end up panning out to be good I think is going to really turn the tide of potentially turn the tide in the Western Conference in terms of who gets into the playoffs next year and who doesn't yeah for sure so the first guy I went with which is not not a point guard as I said I do like the point guards but the first guy I went with which, oh, went with is uh, Chris Boucher he played for Toronto last season he, he spent a lot of his years in the G League as well he's actually 27 years old which had kind of didn't know before I'd actually dug into him a little bit. I knew he'd only he played last season. I think he played one one game for Golden State back in 2015, and then he played last season with Toronto. Obviously, won a ring. He was definitely a, a third string kind of guy last season. But then came in this season was in their second unit for most of the year. He's six foot nine, two hundred pounds, so he's really rangy and, and skinny. Got a seven foot four wingspan, which is ridiculous, and that's evident he, the second you see him. Step yeah, I, yeah, he looks like he could probably touch you know each sideline at the same time. Um, and then he's a restricted free agent, so obviously you'd have to try and pry him away from Toronto. I don't know what their cap sheet kind of looks like, or whether they whether they have guys they need to bring back. But I I doubt that uh, Boucher is a guy that they're really clamoring to have long-term, especially at 27 and with a team that's, uh, you know, a title contender or, or just below that kind of tier. I think the instant appeal with him is his ability to protect the rim and, and just be disruptive with his length. He was one of just three players who averaged, you know, over a block or more a game in 15 minutes or less 
overall, he averaged six points, four rebounds in, in just 13 minutes, as I said. He's got some, some crazy rim protector and rebounding numbers on basketball index. 97th percentile in blocks per 75 possessions. 94th percentile in, in rim contests per 75 possessions. Players shot 16.5% lower than league average at the rim when he were, when he was the primary defender there. That's Which is impressive nine. because he's yeah. so skinny. Yeah, I think he's a lot stronger than his frame suggests. I don't think he's really strong, but he's definitely strong because he looks like, you know, a, a, a twig. So, yeah, and even, when, even dating back to his days at Oregon, he's always been a very, very good off-ball help defender around the rim. Um, yeah. Really, really good, especially tagging and rolling, like sliding over and tagging and rolling then with when, you know, another big hedge hedges. I, I, they did they would do that. They'd have Jordan Bell guard pick and roll and have Jordan Bell hedge or even switch out onto a out onto the ball handler and they'd keep Chris Boucher back down home um, down low and and that was that was just so fun to watch those two go to work on defense when they were both at Oregon together. Yeah, I did, you notice straight away that it's, the timing kind of matches up with that length and that athleticism. I think he's just one of those natural shot blockers who kind of can sniff out a block coming from anywhere. I think I, I tweeted a video last night. There's block. He, you know, got really nice block shots on, on Giannis and Jason Tatum, guys who kind of normally dispose of players who, who don't have really good timing and, and really good athleticism. So that's encouraging. I think Minnesota need that kind of defensive presence. He obviously wouldn't play big minutes. I think it'd probably be similar, 10, 15, you know, 20 at the most minutes per night. But they don't have a real rim protector at the moment. I know Cat can, can block shots and he's obviously had his well-known defensive struggles, but I think he can definitely still be a, a semi-decent shot blocker when when he's doing the right thing. But Boucher is kind of the, the prototypical shot blocker who can come in and like he's just a guy who eviscerates shots around the rim. And then he's also a bundle of energy on the glass um, more more numbers here. 96 percentile in offensive rebounds per 75. 97th percentile in putbacks per 75. That's 3.4. 72.3 percent of his offensive rebounds were contested, which is another kind of you know nod to his strength. 35 um, percent of his of his defensive rebounds were contested, which is 88th percentile, and then 84th percentile in in defensive rebounds per 75. So both ends of the floor, really good rebounder. Just never, I think, in the same mold as as Jared Vanderbilt. I think where they just can sniff out uh, a rebound from anywhere. They they're always hunting the hunting a board and going hard to glass, which I think is really important. If he could, you know, if Minnesota could prime away, I think that'd be really important because they, I think their rebounding was an underrated struggle of of their season this year. Yeah, there were games, especially too, before the trade deadline, where they would just get absolutely murdered on the offensive glass, um, especially in games when Cat wasn't wasn't around. You know, obviously Cat's one of the best rebounders in the entire league, but uh, but outside of Cat, there there really wasn't a whole lot. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I love Robert Covington, but he I don't think he did as well of a job as he has been doing in Houston on the offensive glass, and and same with Wiggs too, like Wiggs, or excuse me, on the defensive glass. I don't think Wiggs did did it enough. Uh, rebounding, you know, he had a, a couple triple doubles, which was sweet, but um, but again, didn't didn't really get to help out there. And I think that's why having more of a prototypical four wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, 
just because when Cat's not on the floor and you have Nas out there, you know, I don't think Nas is going to set the world on fire rebounding the ball. And, and even next to Cat, I think it'd be great because if Cat's going to get taken away from the rim and, and play perimeter defense, if the Wolves are going to switch more, um, I, I think having a guy guy home to, to, to try and block shots and rebound would be would be ideal. And, and I think Boucher would be would be a terrific fit. Yeah, and I think as well on the, you know, I know they want to play fast and they want to kind of play that three-wing style. I think he still fits that, even though he's definitely a power forward or maybe even a small ball five, but I think he he's still quick. He runs the floor like a gazelle. He is, can still, he's a, you know, not a good shooter, but he's still shot, uh, what was it, so around 28% on about two threes a game. So it's not, it's not good numbers by any means, but he's shown that he can still get up a three or two, you know what I mean? He can still make one if he gets if he has any sort of improvement into the into the low thirties, he probably fits that mold really well. You don't need him to be a sniper, I don't think, with all with all the other intangibles that he brings, all the rebounding and the and the defense. And I really do think that he's a guy that could give Minnesota fifteen good minutes per game and really be a, a positive player. I know people in Toronto feel the same way about him. Oh, hundred percent. I I would lo- I would love him. I just think that, um, <laughs> unfortunately, Toronto's got a lot of money coming off the books, um, with with Marcus and Serge Baca, and I think that, um, you know, they're not going to be able to pay Boucher and RHJ, and so I I think that they would probably prefer to keep Boucher, um, but Boucher is also two years older than than Rondé, so. So we'll see what happens. Um, even though he's only been in the league three years, I think he played junior college and then had a city year before going to Oregon. So he, he's pretty he's pretty old for somebody with with his relatively little experience. But um, but definitely a guy that I still think has you know, at least five more good years of basketball in him. Yeah, and what what kind of deal do you think he'd get from from Toronto, or what do you think it would take Minnesota to to lure him away from Toronto? Um. You know, I think they're probably going to try and pay him somewhat close to what they had Rondé at this year, which was, I think, $3 million a year. Um, and and, it, and maybe they go closer to four or five, and I think that they can probably afford to do that since I don't think Marc Gasol will be back, and I don't think that uh, Serge Ibaka is going to nearly have quite as big of a cap as he had last year. Um, so I'd probably say somewhere in the 3 to $5 million range is what Toronto is looking at. And and something probably close to five, I think, would be would be I, I think make it tougher for Toronto to, to bring him back. Um, but but we'll see. I think it all depends on you know what what shakes out with Gasol and Ibaka and, and, and if both of those guys are back and, and what their deals might look like. But I totally expect them to to keep to hang on to his his uh, his rights so they can keep him as a restricted free agent. And I think that it would probably, in terms of Minnesota, it'd probably take. I think you have to wow him a little bit to to get him over here, and that means you can't just offer him the same thing as Toronto, and and you probably have to give him, you know, a year or two more than you than you really feel comfortable with, or you know, a million or two more than you really feel comfortable with, and I'm not sure that's Rosas's strategy, especially with a guy who's still relatively unproven. I know there's some. Impressive numbers, but it's also in a very low usage, low volume, low minute role. So I'm not sure. I think Toronto would have to probably give up on him if he was to come to Minnesota. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And his qualifying offer is right at $2 million. So 
So it's going to be something north of $2 million. Um, but especially if the Wolves are going to try and trade for a third star, um, you know, in addition to bringing Beasley back, uh, it, it, it the, you really can't afford to have two or three extra million dollars going to a guy on the margins that uh, that you're probably going to want want to want to bring in for for as little as possible. So so I agree with you that it it probably isn't going to happen, but but definitely something that it could happen if if Toronto elects to bring back Hollis Jefferson instead of Boucher. Yeah, and I'm not sure, you know, any of these that we've got will actually happen, but something's going to happen in the free agency market and it's probably not going to be a big, a big splash. So, right. Yeah, so, so I think these are the kind of guys you can probably expect to come in, which is maybe a little bit depressing, but it's it's what needs to happen in terms of Minnesota's cap structure and, and the players they've already got. Right. Um. So who's your second one? All right, so my second one, I stayed with kind of um, a fringe G League NBA guy, kind of working my way up. Um, so the second guy that I had was Dwayne Bacon, uh, who's a who's a small forward from the Hornets and, and also played for their, their Greensboro Swarm G League team. Um, and so what I really like about, about Dwayne Bacon is that he's still just 24. I think he's a guy that's been around for a while uh, and, and was a little bit older coming out of college. But seems like he's been a guy that's been around for four or five years and just hasn't ever yeah. panned out. But he's yeah. still just 24 and turns 25 in August. He's got a really good frame. He's six six. He's got a six ten wingspan. He's 220 pounds. Uh, but he plays stronger than that, kind of like Josh Kogi does, where he loves to just get into people um, and get going downhill and use his body and his strength to to kind of get to the rim, which is which is fun to watch for a guy that that doesn't have explosive athleticism. Uh, but he averaged in the NBA this past or this season, he averaged 5.7 points, 2.6 boards um, in 17 minutes a game and shot 34% from the floor and, and 28% from deep. So couldn't really find a role and, and, and really stick uh, with the Hornets. And I, I think he played something like 30, 30-something games for the Hornets. Um, and, and he played in the G League some too, but he, he's also hurt a little bit. Um, so in the G League, he played nine games and get ready for this. He averaged 31.8 points per game, 8.6 <laughs> boards, three and a half assists, almost a steal a game, three turnovers in 38 and a half minutes per game. So he played yeah. a t- so when he played in the G League, he played a ton and he shot 45 percent from the floor and 32 percent from deep. Uh, but he also attempted 10 threes per game. And the shot selection wasn't really amazing. And it's kind of similar to what he did at Florida State, where Florida State, he was just a total volume scorer. And I think that they they kind of asked him to do a little too much offensively at Florida State because he was playing with a guy like Jonathan Isaac, who was really, really good defensively, but but didn't bring as much on the offensive end of the floor. Um, but but Bacon's an excellent transition player. Uh, and these, these numbers that I'm going to bring up are at the G League level. Um, so... Really good transition player. He's in the 88th percentile, um, and, and and you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that his athleticism hasn't really been able to be fully tapped into, just because there wasn't a whole lot of spacing in Charlotte. I think the addition of PJ Washington certainly helped that, uh, but but again, Miles Bridges isn't exactly a guy that's going to light the world on fire from three, and um, and and a guy like Graham is great too. But but outside of those two guys, they didn't really have a ton of other really good go-to three-point options and so we didn't really and, they, and they often played two you know two big players apart from when Washington was in like they often played bigs that couldn't shoot 
like right. Zeller and Biombo, so that kind of you know shrinks the floor as well. Yeah, and so he's a guy that I think it could be just a change of scenery target. Um, where I think, considering the fact that he's done really, really well in the G League, I think giving him a full year in the G League to just kind of go out there and dominate and find himself again would be really helpful, especially playing in a system like Minnesota's where there's a ton of open space for, for guys to operate, uh, both in transition and, and in the half court. And so, and he's got really solid three-point form too. Um, he's one of these really weird guys where he shot better and he shot way better in guarded catch and shoot attempts than unguarded catch and shoot attempts. Um, yeah. And, and I think that, you know, it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about. I think that with his, with his shot form, he just, I think he just used or kind of waited and, and used too much time when he, when he was unguarded, you know, you know what I mean? Where you, you kind of take too long setting yeah. up a shot. And, just and they, almost, the they almost psych themselves out of the shot by, you know, knowing how open they are. Right. And, and I think that that's something that, that he's got to work on if he's going to want to stick uh, in the NBA, just because he's got good shot form. It looks good coming out of his hands and he does a, he does a good job using shot fakes and, and kind of side dribbles to, to move into open space for, for shots. Um, and, and is a guy, unfortunately, that has a lot of defensive kind of mental lapses. Uh, and if he can clean those up, I think he could be a really solid uh, team defender. He did that at Florida State. I and mean, obviously, I think it, <laughs> life's probably a little bit easier when you're playing alongside Jonathan Isaac. But, uh, but he's, <laughs> definitely, he's definitely big enough and strong enough to guard small ball fours, uh, which, which is really encouraging. And the fact that he's a really good post defender at 6'6", um, I think is something that the Wolves are going to need, especially if you would swing in as a as a bench player uh, at the three. Um, would be would be something that that could be could be utilized, especially if, if a team's playing a, a more traditional two big two big uh, rotational bench lineup. Yeah, and and I was just looking at it now, and I think so. He shot forty three percent from three on two threes per game last season on about. The same same kind of uh, minutes per game, about seventeen. Played about forty three games, so I think it probably falls somewhere in the middle of that. Like you said, like he's got pretty good shot form, and he he's been a pretty good shooter. You know, everywhere he's been except Charlotte this season. So I think he, if he falls, you know, at thirty five percent, and then he's also got a bit of that slashing ability and um, quite athletic and can get out in transition. I agree. I think he could be a, a definitely a a uh, good bench player, you know, your ninth, tenth man. Um, yeah, and I think too, when when you're a volume scorer in college, and you kind of have that swagger and that confidence about you, and you lose it at the and you lose it at the next level, I think that it can kind of be tough to recover from that. And so, who knows? Maybe if he goes to the G League and can average twenty five a night in the G League, uh, I know that the nine nine games is a small sample size, but but if he can if he can even do anything remotely close to that on a, on a larger scale and a larger sample. I wouldn't put it past, you know, Dwayne Bacon to be able to become a guy that can co-get you nine, 10 points a game off the bench. Yeah. And, and at this price range and at this kind of, you know, level of, of NBA player, that's about all you can hope for. I don't think that you're ever going to get a guy who can, who can play at a really high level on both ends because they'd already be signed by someone, you know, long-term or, or at good money if they could. So I think if you can get a guy who can score a bit or you can get a guy who can defend a bit, you can't just, you know, you you don't pick and choose. You just take what you can get in that scenario. Exactly. And and could be kind of a, 
a high or a low risk, high reward guy. If you bring him in, maybe on a two way deal or kind of a deal similar to what Nas and, and Jalen Noel have, where it's a very, very team friendly deal stretched out over over three or four years. Uh, could could be an interesting bone to throw a guy like Bacon. Yeah. But, uh, but who did you have for your second? Um, I had similar kind of you know um, prototype archetype. Um, ben Robertson the third, so another a wing score a wing scorer, a pretty negative defensive player, but he's a familiar face. Obviously, he was drafted by Minnesota. He's still just twenty six years old, which kind of seems strange to me because it feels like he's been around for forever, and um. He obviously got his chance this season to actually play big minutes. He was on that Golden State team that that had pretty much no one on the wing. He he ended up starting most games for them. He averaged the obviously he got traded to Philadelphia after that with um with Alec Burks and they ended up being a kind of wing pairing for the Sixers off the bench for the season overall. He averaged eleven point eight points, four point eight rebounds, one point six assists, twenty nine minutes per game. He shot. 38% from three overall, which was included 40% from Golden State, which was kind of the, the larger sample size. He, he shot about 28%, I think, to Philadelphia. So I don't think he kind of adjusted to that role overly well. But going on the on the Golden State sample size, he was actually a really good scorer in general. I think underrated kind of, of how decent he was. He shot... 70% from within three feet. So he was a really good slasher. He still got all that athleticism that, that saw him in dunk contests and stuff earlier in his career. 38% from three, like I said. He's not going to fully derail your, your team defense, but he's definitely not a defender by any means. I think, as you know, per all of these guys, I think 10 to 20 minutes a game on a good team, he could really really fit in that role and give you a scoring punch off the bench. Yeah, I think he's a smart guy that's been around for a while and it's played in a lot of different environments. Um, just playing on, you know, playing on four or five different teams throughout his career. I think, I think he's a guy that, that can pretty seamlessly fit into to almost whatever you want to do um, as a prototypical wing player. That, that's a pretty good catch and shoot guy and does a good job moving without the basketball to, to maintain floor spacing. I actually watched a decent amount of decent amount of Warriors games this year just because Kai Bowman was a, was a two-way guy for them who went to Boston College where I go to school. Um, and so I, I wanted to watch him play, but ended up seeing a lot of Glenn Robinson, and, and he did a lot of really good things. And, and just when he was in Golden State, really did you know what, what was needed of him. He kind of let the game come to him, played within the flow of the offense, and, and didn't try and set the world on fire which I think is exactly what you want out of a guy that you're going to probably play 15 to 20 minutes a game coming off the bench. Uh, kind of like a Jake Lehman type yeah. where you just try and try and fit in and, and do what's asked of you and, and nothing more and just make sure you're, you're taking good shots. Yeah, I think he's kind of um, a better shooter than Lehman but doesn't have the, the size and the length to play the four. Right. I think Lehman played about 90% of his minutes at the four according to, to basketball reference. So I think that's where they differ. I think they could play together. I'm not saying that you kind of said one or the other, but I think that's a pretty good comparison where it's just that that low usage, you know, shoot when you're open, slash when you when you can get a step on a guy or when, when the defense closes out hard to you and just don't play outside of your lane. 
Yeah, exactly. I think he he's exactly what you're looking for in a bench guy. And and I think Layman's probably got more in terms of cutting and and driving the basket just because I think Layman's a little bit more athletic. Yeah. And you know that's saying something too because you know Glenn Robinson has, has won a dunk contest in his day. But, yeah. Um, but but two guys that I, I think are I think are really solid ads and um. And the other thing that I like about Glenn Robinson too is he's a really good offensive rebounder. Yeah. Um. He he really did well, and I think the fact that he he wasn't really playing with a whole lot of other good rebounders out there, uh, in Golden State, I think kind of forced him to to really crash the offensive glass and try and create extra possessions, and and did a great job of of converting those those extra possessions into points, and and uh and this year was in the 96th percentile in offensive rebounds and putbacks and, and scored on 70% of the, the offensive rebounds that he collected, which, which is, which is great for a guy that like you were saying, isn't huge and, and probably a guy who, who won't spend a lot of time down, down in the paint. So. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So um, who did you have for your next guy? You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. So my next guy, I had Devin Booker. Uh, Devin Booker's. A, I'm just kidding. He's a, he's a center for, for Kim Ki Moscow. Uh, averaged 11. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, um, so so my third player. Uh, shout out Purdue. Uh, I I I went with Etwan Moore. Oh, I thought it might have been Rob, I that, thought it might have been Robbie Hummel for a second when you said shout out Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he played getting, with. He, I think he played. I think he played with Robbie Hummel though. Probably what 10 years ago. Yeah, I was getting excited. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Timberwolves legend, Robbie. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, so I, so I need Tuan Moore for, for my third selection. And, uh, he's a little bit older than, than most. He's 31. Um, but, but a guy who's been just ultra consistent throughout his time in the NBA, he, he's six, four, but he's got a six, six, nine and a half, six, ten wingspan, which I think allows him to be a much more competent team defender than you might expect. Yeah. And, from a guy and I think it allows him to play the three as well. It allows him to play the small forward as well, which he did for the Pelicans quite a bit. Correct. And, and I think that that helped him more so on the offensive end than on the defensive end. Um, but a bit again, with, with a six, ten wingspan, I think that, that you can probably make up for, you know, for the two, maybe three inches that you're given guys. Um, but, but, in terms of his stats, he averaged eight and a half points, two and a half boards, an assist and a half, and half a steal in, in almost 19 minutes per game. And, and his shooting this year was a little bit down. He he shot 42 and a half percent from the floor and 37 and a half percent from three. I think it's funny how I'm saying it was a down <laughs> shooting 37 and a half for three uh, percent from three, and that's just considering because he shot over 42 and a half percent the last two years. Um, but in terms of his advanced metrics aren't really that glamorous. He, he shot only 51% true shooting and, and was a negative in, in all three of the major plus minus categories or plus plus minus stats with, with B, BPM, um, RAPM and, and PIPM. Um, but, but again, he's a 39% career three point shooter. Uh, he's in the 87th percentile in spot ups this year, shot almost 50% on spot up threes. Um, and, and was excellent in catch and shoot situations, particularly unguarded ones, which, 
he shot almost 51% from, from three on, on unguarded catch and shoot opportunities. And, and I think he would get a lot of those if he played in Minnesota, uh, particularly in the corners. If you've got guys like Lehman or, or Beasley kind of, kind of driving or McLaughlin, even McLaughlin was a good kind of crash and pass guy really good um, into the corners too. So, so pairing him with it, with a guy like McLaughlin could be really good. Uh, and, and the other thing that I think Etwan uh, Etwan brings, and then I'll be quiet is, uh, <laughs> is is that he's a really really good uh, defender in the pick and roll. Uh, he, 96th percentile when when defending ball handlers was also above the 80th percentile last year doing that and the year before that. So so a guy who who really consistently is able to do that. And I think again it goes back to the wingspan. He's not the quickest laterally, but but again having hands up and 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 having your hands in passing lanes and, and making it tougher for ball handlers uh, r- really makes it a lot easier to defend to defend the pick and roll as a ball handler. Uh, and it helps too, when you've got a guy like Derek favors yeah. <laughs> up there, tag and roll man and, and, and hedging and stuff like that. But um, yeah, but again, a guy who's not a good on ball defender, but, but surprisingly does do, does do very well in PNR situations. Yeah. I think I, I, like you said, with, with golden state, I watched a fair bit of, of New Orleans this, this season. And I have a, a my best friend, he's a New Orleans fan. So we did watch a fair bit, and I think, like you said, I think he gets skinny through skin, uh, skinny through screen pretty well. More like he's not very quick laterally. laterally. God, I'm just stumbling over every word at the moment. But um, <laughs> <laughs> he's just not very good laterally. But he does get through screen quite well, and he can use that wingspan to kind of recover a little bit and ju- just stay in front. Like you said, it's good having favors there, who's who's always in the right position and who who lifts a team defense really, really high. But the other thing that I noticed with, with Moore is he's really good at shooting floaters. Like, he's got that little, that that blow-by on the on the pump fake because obviously defenders want to close out quite hard to him because he can, he can shoot the ball and he can get just get into that paint and just float it over that, that big defender or throw the, throw the alley-oop to the, to the big in the dunker spot. And I think that's actually a really, a really big skill to have for a guy who's not a great ball handler and who is a great shooter. I think if you can, if players can run you off the line and you become completely, you know, ineffective once you've been run off the line, you kind of run the risk of just fading out of a game and not being able to do anything. But if you can just hit that floater or just, you know, get that little lob pass off to the big, that opens up so much more for you. Yeah, and I think that's something too that would fit really, really well with a guy like Patrick Williams or Nyeka Kongwu, or you know, or even a, a guy like Jeremy Grant if they if they got any of those three guys via the draft or free agency. Uh, you see, you see those guys in, in, in those types of highlights all the time where they might be in the short corner and they see a guy from the weak side uh, pump fake and kind of take two hard dribbles towards the free throw line and then just get ready to. To, to float one up there for an alley oop, yeah, uh, like you were saying, and, and to put some, uh, to just put some numbers to what you're saying, it's a very, very, very good observation. Um, around the basket on non post ups, uh, he he's in the 89th percentile in terms of points per possession, yeah, um, and on runners, 75th percentile. So shooting shooting close to 40 percent on runners is, is pretty damn good, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that's what um that those numbers kind of bear out with what what I saw with the with the eye test. So I think I don't know how much he'd he'd, you know, garner paycheck wise, but I'd actually be really happy with Eton Moore. And I think he might be a guy like 
out of all these guys, I think he might be one of the most likely that Minnesota actually target. I think you can probably get him, you know, maybe with the biannual exception, which is around four million. I don't think I think New Orleans probably won't pay him. They've got to pay Brandon Ingram, and they've got a bunch of you know guys coming up who they who they'd like to keep flexible for, and if they're going to be as good as some people, and I'm I'm sure you know their front office thinks in a few years they will want to keep their themselves flexible just in case they can get another you know mega star to go with Zion. So I think you probably get him for like something like three years, twelve million. You know, if, with the biannual, and like that would be a good deal, even if it's two years, eight million. I don't know if he has many suitors out on the market but he's a guy who could instantly add 20 minutes off Minnesota's bench and probably be the best shooter off the bench you know so that that sounds like a really a really good idea to me yeah and, and granted he was he was almost paid he's paid close to nine million dollars this year and and I don't think he's getting anything close to that no way uh, in free agency but but yeah I mean if you if you put him out there with Lehman uh or even Beasley if if Beasley ends up as your six man this year, I think that that could be, that could be really fun. And in the wolves three or the wolves bench unit has been God awful shooting threes for how many, however many years now. And, and adding a guy like that, I think would be, would be fun. And I think a lot of playoff teams have guys like each one more to come off the bench and be able to, to be able to knock down open shots. And it's something that the Timberwolves haven't had and something I'd love to see on the, on, yeah. on the team. Yeah. And I don't think the, the 31 years of age kind of, is hugely, you know, a negative. I think he's not reliant on athleticism whatsoever. And I don't think he's obviously a big enough piece where they have to fit him in around the timeline with age and stuff. So I think if you get, if you get a 31-year-old in, pay him for two or three years, and then, you you know, show him the door when, when he's either retiring or he's, you know, older and, and lost some of his shooting touch or, or whatever, I think that's a pretty safe bet. Yeah, 100%. It's definitely a sustainable play type. Yeah. So I've got uh, another wing shooter. I know we're, we're stuck on the wing shooters at the moment, but it is something that I think Minnesota will target, whether it be through the draft or, or the free agency. This one is kind of a bit more shrouded in, in mystery, and that's Denzel Valentine. Another, you know, like I said, a wing shooter. He's a bit more of a mystery because he's been injured a lot over the last few years. He only played... 36 games this season, so he kind of was has, a, has had a lot of niggles or, or, you know, five, six-week injuries throughout his career. I think same thing for him. You could probably, he's a restricted free agent, so you could probably sneak him off Chicago for something around the biannual. I don't think they're going to pay him upwards of $5 million a year unless they kind of really believe that he can be more than he is. But at the moment, he's... He only shot 33% from free this year, but he shot 38 and 35% the two years prior. Got a little bit of shot creation as well. I think he does definitely like to shoot. So I think sometimes he takes some dumb shots off the dribble and mid-range jumpers and stuff. But he did shoot 35% as a catch-and-shoot shooter this season. Valuable on this team, I think, as a in a minor role, like all these guys are. And... The one thing that surprised me when I was watching him, first of all, and then when I kind of um, compared the, the numbers to what I was seeing, is he's actually not a bad defender, Valentine. I always kind of pictured him as this uh, negative on defense, but he had a, zero, a plus 0. 0.34 defensive uh, player impact plus minus, which isn't 
great, but good. but yeah, like if you're a positive on defense in a in a bench wing role, that's a good thing, especially when you play on the Chicago Bulls and you're giving up, you know, 120 a night. He's only six foot five, which is a, a little small for I guess like a small forward, but he's probably more of a, of a shooting guard. He's got a six foot eleven wingspan, which same thing is more helps him kind of smother guys and and get through pick and roll and recover to shooters when they when they kind of snake the pick and roll and, and put him in jail, he kind of gets back in front pretty well. So he's actually one of my favorites, I think, in this. Like, I think he could go worse than Valentine as a bench shooter and someone who can still play a bit of defense and, and keep it afloat when you've got guys like, you know, Beasley or even McLaughlin is a, is a decent defender but still has his troubles. Layman is in the same boat. So I think if you can get a guy who's, who's a plus defensively Still got a bit of potential to unlock. He's he's only twenty four years old. I want to say I don't have it in front of me, but I think he's a three, just a three and D talent. Yeah, and it's interesting that he's kind of one of those guys where he was so good in college. I think this week he was actually named to the Big Ten All Decade Team. Yeah, um, alongside alongside Draymond Green, other Michigan State player, but. Uh, but yeah, it was really weird. He's just a guy who, who was a really, really good scorer in college and, and just has never really been able to find that groove. Like I was kind of talking about with bacon, excuse me. Um, he wasn't just never really able to, to carry that over into the NBA, but, but a guy that I think could really, if given the right situation or if placed in the right situation, could really be an impactful guy off the bench that could average, you know, 10, 12, 13 points a game if the shot is there and the shot's falling, I mean, he's a career 36 point or a career 36% shooter from deep on, on over four attempts per game. And so if he's, he'd be able to do that, um, given the right spacing in Minnesota, I would, I would love to see him, to see him come and play. And, and a guy that I really don't think would, would cost all that much money because, you know, he didn't play. He was a healthy scratch, a good amount this year. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of games just, just kind of, Got on the got on the wrong side of, of Jim Boylan, which I doesn't seem I very guess hard as, to do. As, as doesn't seem very hard to do, and, and kind of being in jail with um with with him is just a, just does not seem fun, and, and I think he's probably a guy that would that would definitely be willing to get out of Chicago to be to get out of Chicago if if you wanted him to. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, like I said, there's something around same with Moore. If you can pay him the biannual. Game for you know, even you have to give him say three years at, at four million, or you give him part of your MLE. I'm not sure what Minnesota's plans are, obviously with, with the MLE, but I think a lot of these guys are if you, if you strike out on the on the Jeremy Grants and on the you know guys who you can get for nine or ten million, maybe you give Denzel Valentine you know two for ten million, and and you part of your MLE and you take a swing. On him as a bench player, I think most of Minnesota's core is set with with Russell and Towns, but I also think the the big pieces you need to get you're not going to get in this free agency. And so if you can stay flexible with short term deals for a guy like Valentine, I think that's a, a pretty safe bet as well. Yeah, and and just one more note on on, on Valentine too. I I just pulled up his synergy profile while you're talking. 97th percentile in spot-up jumpers, which yeah. is pretty crazy, Almost at almost 50% there. And it's a good-looking stroke as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100% too. And 90% on, on shots off the dribble shooting, you know, 42.5% there, which is which is great. Um, so, yeah, a guy that, 
guy where the again the numbers match the eye test, um, and a guy that I think would would do well with with some added spacing and and kind of lower expectations and 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 not really having to play for just a just a god awful coach. <laughs> I think would would do him a lot of good. Yeah. So, uh, for my last guy, um, one name that that people probably aren't expecting, and I don't think has really been talked about a lot in Wolvesland, which is part of why I. I went this direction, but I went with Myers Leonard, um, starting center for the Heat. Oh, yeah. um, and so what I liked about Myers Leonard is that he seems to be a really impactful defender without actually blocking shots or or uh, or getting in the getting in the passing lanes and 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 stealing the ball. Um, as he had you know, really positive RAPM numbers on defense and and defensive player impact plus mining was a 1.5, which is, which is really, really good for for a starting center. And while it does favor big guys, those kind of numbers, like they're still good numbers, even for a stat that kind of tends to stray on the side of big guys. Yeah. And the other thing that I found that was interesting, kind of with what you just said in, in mind, he only, uh, opposing players shot 50 and a half percent. Uh, with him as the primary defender around the rim, which isn't even all that good. Yeah, um, especially when you're considering that, you're guarding big guys and only shooting the upper 50s to 60s. Right, so it's interesting then, if it, if it skews to favor big guys, but he's not that great of a big defender, okay, then where is his impact coming on the defensive end? And his impact on the defensive end is coming more on the perimeter. Um, he moves really, really well laterally for a guy that's his size. He's seven foot has a 7'3 wingspan, he's 260 pounds. But he's really athletic, and, and I love the way he moves side to side. Uh, really agile player, and, and was in the 95th percentile in isolations on defense. And obviously that's a small sample size, but it's still pretty impressive. And he was an above-average defender in the entire NBA, not just with centers, um, when he got switched out onto the pick-and-roll ball handler. And Miami, Miami was willing to do that this year because they had two athletic centers in, in Adebayo and Leonard. And it was really interesting to see him kind of do that. He was, he didn't do that a ton when he was in Portland. He kind of played more of that rim protector, kind of drop coverage, funnel players down to him role um, in David Vanderpool's defense in Portland. So it was interesting to see him kind of play a different role in Miami and, and still still play really, really well. Um, and then obviously we all know Myers Leonard to be a, a really very good spot-up jump shooter. He was in the 93rd percentile in, in, in jump shots and – 73rd in catch-and-shoot opportunities, and then overall from three, uh, was in the 88th percentile from three. Um, shot shot 43% on, on two-and-a-half threes a game, which really solid, just consistent. Not a, not a huge sample, but but just something that, that's consistent and, and can obviously be be repeated at, uh, at, a different, at a different ball club. So uh, as a guy that I, I would really like to see in Minnesota, potentially backup cap. Yeah, I, I think he... Is I know we love Nas Reed and the, and the team love Nas Reed, but I think right now he's better than Reed and probably would be for the next few years just in that role of like a, a stretch five who can also defend in space a little bit and play pretty well as a pick and roll defender. Obviously, like you mentioned, he is familiar with Vanderpool. I don't know if um if Vanderpool maximized him like like you said he kind of flourished a little bit more when when he got out from under Vanderpool, but. I think he still would be a really good defender here, a really good shooter. He's been a consistent shooter for pretty much his whole career. 
and also just seems like a genuinely likable guy, which obviously doesn't matter as, as much as the on-court stuff. But from everything I've seen, I know if, if you're listening, you're on Twitter, like Natias Duncan, he um he had some problems and Myers Leonard donated like $1,000 to his GoFundMe just because someone tagged him in I, it, you know, like... That, I think it was like $10,000. Was it? Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I, it I was a ton I, of money. He was, yeah, it was really, it was really awesome to see And that. he's always interacting with, with fans and stuff on Twitter. And I know that's kind of uh, by the by when it comes to on-court stuff, but that's the kind of stuff I think Rosas values as well. Like they want to build this team with good characters, not just good players. And he is a good player too. So... He's the kind of guy, I don't know what he'd command in the open market, but is he a unrestricted free agent? Uh, yeah, he is unrestricted. It'd be really interesting. I kind of want to run the, I should have done it before, before this, but, but I can do it and get back to you, um, with the program that I've been using for, for my articles, um, previewing free agents. Uh, I kind of created a similarity score and then, um, and then based off the similarities, um, kind of creating an average average contract metric um, that I've been using, which is an um, awesome so, so idea. I'll run that awesome idea. Yeah, I, and and I'll I'll run that and and get back to you on that. But but his figure this year was eleven point three, uh, right around there. And it'll be and lower I don't than think that. He gets that? Yeah, I think he'll get that. like I think he, I could see him getting a deal that's like three for twenty five or something in that yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. I, I would be willing to do that just because I. I really don't think that the Timberwolves are going to use the full MLE on a, a four guy anyways. I think that they're probably going to try and trade for one or draft one. So I, I, I'd be, I'd be willing to do that. And depending on who you're playing, I think that Myers Leonard and Cat could play out there at the same time. Yep. I agree. And the reason why, the reason why I think that too, is because Myers Leonard, in my opinion, is the best center in terms of being able to cut to the basket. Yeah. Um, was 71st percentile in cuts. And get this shot seventy three percent on on shots after a cut, um, and then was ninety eighth percentile around the basket in non post up scenarios. So so going to the basket on the drive or on a cut, um, which was which was just incredible to see. And if and if you watch the film too, or just watch highlights, just search Myers Leonard highlights from Miami. There's plenty of clips that that show him diving and cutting to the basket and, and finishing strong and, and through contact too. So. So that would be a really fun kind of twin towers uh, lineup to, to deploy um, in lieu of in lieu of, of playing a, a smaller four guy. Yeah, and I think I I agree with with everything you said. I think the problem is that I'm not sure whether they would want to kind of reply. I don't think that I don't know if they'd, they'd want to get him as the starting four because as we speak about all the time, Rosa seems to want to play fairly small and and agile in terms of, of wings and bigs and, and point guards and I'm not sure they'd want to replace Nas Reed just because they seem to like him a lot and, and his future potential which I don't know if that's the greatest idea I don't think you marry yourself to to Nas Reed if you can go and get a better player who's going to help you win more games in Townsend Russell's prime so I'm not sure what their thinking would be on that just because it's kind of seems like it would go against some of the things that they've they've stated previously, but I'd be definitely open for for a Myers Leonard to Minnesota deal. Yeah, and the other thing too, the the one quick note that I'll say too is he could be a great bridge between or a, or a great bridge from you know the pretty much non-existent backup five that we've had, um, 
you know, outside of Gorgie, but Gorgie and Cat have played together too. But he could be a good bridge from from kind of Gorgie to Nas in the sense that I think that Nas still probably needs a full year in the G League. He yeah. got so much better this year, and I think one more year would would really allow him to develop the necessary skills to to be a solid backup five. And and, and you know, I I just don't think that you can afford to to play teams who kind of more traditionally backup lineups have had more traditional fives, at least in, in the last couple of years. And, and and I don't think it would be fair to kind of throw Nas to the wolves, uh, no pun intended, and <laughs> and just get killed on the glass and down low. Yeah. So I, I think that I think that the backup five is kind of a sneaky position that they need to upgrade, at least for the next couple of years before Nas is, is really ready to to thrive in that role. I don't, I, I, I really don't want to put him out there too early and, and kind of wreck his confidence and, and kind of stunt his growth, if you will. Yeah. I don't think there's any need to rush Reed along. I mean, I know, I know they like him, like I said, but he, he'll get there or he won't, you know what I mean? You, you don't, I don't think you kind of need to throw him in the deep end and say, we need Nas Reed to be able to play 20 minutes a game, backing up Cat if there's, a better player out there that you can sign for, you know, one or two years, like you said, is a bit of a stopgap or, or a bridge between the two. And that that would be fine with me. I think if it helps you win games, if, if Reed develops more in the G League and will still, I'm sure, get his chance to play, you know, 10 or 15 games next season, even if he was relegated to that, that third string role, I think that'd still be great for his development. He could go to Iowa and dominate for a season and really fine tune his post game and I think get a bit better at, at the shooting that he's shown so much promise in, become a better defender and, and less foul prone and all of that while not, I guess, hurting the the big team at the in the process. Exactly. I'm gonna start a new hive that's the Myers Leonard Jared Vanderbilt front court hive. <laughs> um it's just be so fun to see. I need to see it now. <laughs> So, who, who did you have for your fourth guy? So, I know you like this guy. I know a lot of people do. I think he's probably the most expensive guy on the list, and that is Derek Jones Jr. I think he probably commands... Let's go. I think he probably commands all of the MLE, to be honest. Like, I'm not sure he he had a super, super great season. I, I think he was very good, but he's the kind of player that I think we get a lot of looks around the league. I'm not sure... Miami, I think Miami can afford him. They do have cap space, but they're also gearing up for, for Giannis Antetokounmpo next season or any other free agent that they can pair. And all the depots. Yeah, team. or anyone they can pair with Butler and Adebayo who can kind of form a, a monstrous, you know, big three. So if Derek Jones Jr., I think if he commands too much or too many years or, or signs an offer sheet somewhere that is going to kind of price him out of Miami's range, I think he'll definitely be on the move. Uh, he's a really intriguing player. He's 23 years old. He averaged 8.9 points, 4.2 boards, uh, a steal, and just under a block in 24 and a half minutes on, as I said, a really good Miami team. They obviously, and a really great coach in Eric Spolstra, so that's always a good sign that a, that a great coach wants to play him heavy rotation minutes. We all know about his ridiculous athleticism, dunk contest champ, you know, tainted as it may be. Uh, no, no, don't start that. <laughs> he should have won. He should have won. We're not going to get into that, but dunk contest champ, 
and but I think he applies that that ridiculous athleticism to his whole game, and I think that's where he differs from I guess some other really great dunkers like maybe like Glenn Robinson who we spoke about before. I don't think he kind of has that athleticism on a hundred percent all game, whereas Derek Jones Jr. does. He can he's a great cutter. He rockets to the rim when when defenders close out too hard or or, or let him get a step by them. He he's a great role. He's a great role man. He's he mainly played the four this season in in Miami. He but he can probably play anywhere from two, three, four. He can probably guard almost one through five. He's he's a very good defender. He um as I said just just uses that athleticism so much. Elite finisher around the rim. He's adjusted field goal percentage at the rim was sixty seven point four percent, which is eighty ninth eighty ninth percentile. He listen. This is one of my favorite stats that that I came across when I was watching and, and looking at the stats. He blocked thirty percent of the shots that he contested for the season, <laughs> which is nine. Oh man, ninety fifth percentile. So I'm I'm so in. It's not even funny. Just a crazy versatile defender. Still very skinny, obviously, but he doesn't strike me as someone who who loses points on the defensive end for. Being skinny, I think he's quite strong. You know that Kevin Durant kind of frame where he's a lot stronger than he looks. Um, he's seven foot wingspan. Like I said, probably guard one through five. Probably more comfortably two, three, and fours. But pinch hit as as a a switchable defender on pretty much anyone. The problem with him is that he just isn't a shooter. Really, shot twenty seven percent on triples this season. Only top thirty percent once in his four year career, but he just brings so many intangibles as a as an off ball mover, as a defender. I think I'd be willing. I think there's there's other options I'd probably take first with if you're playing the full MLE, but he's he's right up there, and I'd forego the shooting troubles for the the intangibles that he brings. Yeah, and I think some of the some of the shooting that some of the shooting concerns I don't necessarily share. And the reason why I don't share them is because I bet on the heat a lot this year. The heat were one of the best teams against the spread. And so as a result of that, I spent a lot of time watching. The heat. <laughs> and, um, and Derek Jones was, was a really, really capable open jump shooter. Um, you know, believe it or not, he was 97th percentile <laughs> in, in unguarded, uh, catch and shoot. Yeah. Me, I'm, I'm looking at defense. I got the wrong. One. But <laughs> uh, but was still a really really good, uh, you know, unguarded, uncontested jump shooter. Um, in, in the sense that you know the form is the the form isn't terrible and and, and I and I really think that if you just give him some time to to work with it and and just get in the gym and, and work on the shot, I don't think it's that far off. Um, and it doesn't need to be that good for him to be, uh, you know, to take his game to another level. Like he he shoots, like I said with with Boucher before, if they can shoot in the low thirty, like that opens up so much for their game. Yeah, the t- target number I kind of look at for guys that aren't good shooters is just thirty three point three. Like if you can make a thirty your shots, um, maybe at like the thirty five if it's totally unguarded, um. Yeah, I think he could. I think he could probably get there in terms of unguarded. This year, he was right at he was like at thirty one point three. Um, 
so hopefully hopefully that number can can increase a little bit and i think it probably will given that he 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 shot probably he shot like twice as many threes this year as he did last year yeah so hopefully there's some there's kind of some added confidence there and and the extended time off has, has kind of given him the time he needs to to work on it and he's still very young so it's not like he's done growing whatsoever oh yeah 100% um so i have one more I know we, we discussed this this guy a little bit off air, but the last one is Harry Giles. I've actually seen a little bit, a few people kind of talk about him as a flyer that the Wolves could, could take on. He's quite intriguing, but very hard to get a read on. He was criminally underutilized in Sacramento and underappreciated. They didn't pick up his option, which just seems strange to me because I don't think he, I think he showed enough where you, you at least pick up his, his you know option for, $2 million, $2 million or whatever it was. So he's an unrestricted free agent when Fred he does roll around. I think he'll be well under the MLE, probably close to the, to the biannual at $4 million, same as a lot of these guys. He's 22 years old as well. Like Robinson, he kind of surprised me at how young he was. He's been through the ringer with, with knee injuries. I'm not sure he has any knees left. Like, I don't know if he just has, like, robotic legs or something, but <laughs> but he's still playing somehow, and he's only 22. He averaged seven points, four boards, and an assist in just over 15 minutes per game this season. Averaged about the same last season, so he's quite a good defender from what I've seen. Pretty mobile, but, but it's quite strong as well. Can guard fours and fives. Not elite by any means, but, but able to guard in space as a pick-and-roll defender handle his own as a post defender as well. So I think that, that helps. That's probably his, his main calling card at the moment. He's also a pretty good rebounder. Strangely enough, I think the best thing he does on offense is pass the ball. He really good like pocket passer out, out of the high post. He can fling passes to shooters from the low post. Also work from the top of the key, for the top of the key, like in a five-out system that Minnesota like to run, so I think it's not the strange kind of main skill set to have on offense as a big guy. But Giles is a really good passer. Outside of that, he he can shoot a little bit from the elbows, and he doesn't shoot threes at all. He shot just six attempts over his career. I think there's optimism to get for his shooter. He's given a bit more leash to, to shoot threes. He shot forty two point one percent from ten to sixteen feet. 37.8% from 16 feet to the three-point line, 76% from the free-throw line. They're all pretty decent indicators. If it, he can kind of extend that range a little bit as he, as he continues to grow. Offensively, outside of that, pretty poor. Um, what was it? So, renting the 11th percentile in um, as a post-up player, 0.67 points per possession. 34th percentile as a pick and roll roll man with one point per possession. So they're both areas I think he'd need to work on, especially if he's not going to shoot threes. Yeah, and especially if he's not going to be, you know, athletic enough to just kind of get by bigger defenders with a quick first step. Yeah. I think that was something that he, he definitely did in high school and was part of the reason why he was, you know, one of the best probably 10 prospects of the, of the last decade in high school basketball. Um, but, but you know it's it's just been unfortunate to see kind of a lot of the athleticism get zapped out of him yeah. <laughs> with the double ACL surgeries. Uh, but 
But one thing I do think is really encouraging from him is just that he still maintained the same kind of defensive versatility that he was lauded for coming out of high school. And the fact that he's a, he's a smart defender, especially when he's playing off the ball, and that he, he smartly plays up the line and, and takes his chances and, and, can, and can hold his own somewhat down on the block too. Um, I, I'd be really intrigued to see what he would look like next to a guy like Carl Anthony Towns just because I feel like the – the centers that the Nets have had, whether it be Rashawn Holmes or, you know, or Willie Cauley Stein or guys that are more defensively minded. Uh, whereas you get a guy like Cat who, who isn't really the best defender uh, down low on the blocks. So it'd be interesting to see kind of him unleashed in a sense, uh, rather than rather than playing in, in a more defensively friendly lineup. I, I'd be really interested to see how he would do in a, in a situation like that. Yeah, I think that, and I think if Minnesota were to sign him, that it'd be on the on the premise that they think he can shoot. Because obviously they're they're kind of all in on on every player being able to able to shoot the three at least averagely for um from you know all positions. So if he could shoot a little bit, like we said, maybe that thirty three percent number, and then you know guard in space and, and guard a bit on the block and, and do a bit of pick and roll defense. I think he could end up a pretty decent player. I'm not sure how long he'll last. Obviously, it's I do I feel sorry for him because, like you said, he was such a great player in high school, and but the the double ACLs obviously you know took a lot out of him as it would with anyone. And I think to even be as healthy and as athletic and and stuff as he is right now is a testament to how hard he's worked to get back. But it's still worrying. With I guess his future injury history, what what what's going to happen in the future with those knees and the the good parts of his game that have been like you said zapped from from all those long stretches off. Yeah, you know, I, it's like you said, all the credit in the world to him for for being able to come back and and not get discouraged and, and still come back and compete really really hard when he when he's been in the, in the game and on the floor. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just something, again, a guy who I still think has, has a lot of room to grow. And now that he's, he's been able to stay healthy now for, you know, for a season, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be really happy to see him kind of build off of that and grow and, and add more, more elements to his game, especially offensively. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's probably, probably all we've got for today. I think they were, what was it? Nine guys who... I think I won't be surprised if one of those guys end up in in Minnesota. I think there's not a lot of talent out there in the free agency market. A lot of the the kind of under the radar or, or lower, you know, buy low kind of guys aren't super duper exciting. But but they're nine names where I think I'd probably be happy with any of those guys as long as long as the price is right. So once again, thank you for Jack, thank you Jack for coming on. I'm sure. We'll be back to everyone listening. I think I'll have Jack and Kyle on kind of rotating most weeks unless I have a, a special guest for, for one reason or another. So, yeah, thanks as usual, Jack. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, and I look forward to the next one. For sure. Thanks, guys, everyone. You can uh, like, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff, and I'll see all you guys next week.